Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is September the 1st, 2017. Labor Day weekend is upon us. The end of summer on, uh, is coming up rapidly. Uh, but it's always great to catch up with you at the end of the week and uh, try to figure out what in the world has been going on. And there is no shortage of stuff to look at, especially from the immigration perspective. <clears throat> Pardon me. Those of you familiar with me know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, and that um, my 30 years of experience with the old INS has given me an insight um, that is kind of unique, I guess. Uh, I was an immigration inspector. I was an adjudications officer. I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch, and for every one of those days that I went on duty for 30 years, <clears throat> I wasn't just doing my job, earning a paycheck and enforcing America's immigration laws and administering those laws, but I also came to think of it as a day in school because each and every day I went to work, I had the opportunity to go places, meet people, and do things that were unique to my job as an immigration agent, and that is what I provide to you now uh, so many years after that, especially in the wake of 9-11, and it's very hard to believe that we are coming up in point of fact on the 16th anniversary of the terrorist attacks, September 11, 2001. <clears throat> Kids in high school, for the most part, have absolutely no knowledge, no recollection of that day. I've recently spoken to some people who are in their early 20s, and they told me that they've learned more about Pearl Harbor in their schools than they learned about 9-11. And it's a remarkable analogy because on 9-11, 19 young terrorists committed more um, loss of life or caused more loss of life in the United States than on mainland United States than we suffered at the hands of the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. So it's more than remarkable that 9-11 isn't burned into the minds of our kids so that they understand the perils that we face and the way that we need to protect our country. And this isn't about xenophobia. I certainly like that America is open to people from around the world. I live in New York City, arguably the most diverse city in all of the United States, and the United States has the most diverse population of any country on this planet. So the point is that um, talking about securing borders against illegal entry, enforcing immigration laws to make certain that people who come here from other countries, foreign nationals, aliens, if you will, don't pose a threat to our safety, our well-being, our health, uh, or opportunities for Americans. That's what the immigration laws are about, not about race, not about religion, not about ethnicity. And I'm going to make a point about that shortly when we consider uh, Joe Arpaio and the decision, and I think the proper decision made 
by President Trump to pardon Joe. But, you know, there is a mythology and is being spread by politicians from both sides of the aisle. It is doing harm to America, harm to national security, harm to the middle class. And there are many people who are just fine with that. You know, it just blows my mind um, that there are so many people out there who have such animosity for America's middle class, who have such animosity for the United States of America. Has America made mistakes? You betcha. And most often, by the way, when our politicians towed the line being pulled or attached to the corporate world and the special interest groups that bribe them with campaign contributions. So let's make no mistake about the fact that we have made mistakes. But unlike other countries, this country has gone a huge difference to right the wrongs, at least until recently, although I have to tell you that what President Trump is doing, and if these nitwits that were out there protesting would catch their breath and give thought to what's happening, President Trump is doing more than any recent president to right so many of those wrongs, not only against America and Americans, but the wrongs committed against Mexicans. President Trump has made it clear that NAFTA, as it now exists, is no longer acceptable. NAFTA was a disaster for America. It was a disaster for the Mexicans. NAFTA enabled American companies to displace Americans, to displace Mexicans in their own industry by dumping produce into the Mexican economy, into the Mexican market, that is to say. The price of produce became so low that the Mexican farmers could not possibly compete. What was the consequence? They went bankrupt. And when they lost the farms that had been in their families for generations, they became angry at America. They should understand that it's not the average American that was behind this disaster. But they also headed north because they had no other way to support themselves. The farmers who had worked for them headed north. If you look at the massive influx of illegal aliens from Mexico, it went through the roof shortly after the passage of NAFTA. Along comes Donald Trump and says, no more. No more NAFTA, not the way it exists. And if Mexico wants to trade with America, they need to pay their citizens more money in their country. What a novel thought. So this is why you have people out there rioting, because you have a president that says, let's protect not only America, but Mexican workers in their own country to take away the incentive for them to come to the United States illegally where they're exploited. What a terrible idea. You know, if you look at DACA, and we're going to talk about DACA today, the Deferred Action Childhood Arrival Program uh, initiated, and I believe it to be an illegal program, and so many other lawyers and judges, it, it initiated by the Obama administration. Everyone knows what DACA means. Write down D-A-C-A, and everyone knows deferred action, childhood arrival. Why? Because the media reported on it. Obama said it. They reported on it. President Trump enacted his own immigration executive order, and it's become known as the travel ban, with the emphasis on this is about Muslims because this is Muslim-majority countries. Big fat lie. You will never see the media report on the actual name of President Trump's executive order on immigration. You know why? Because if they did, then the controversy goes away, and the globalists will be upset. And it's the globalists who are getting what they want. 
up until now. That is what this war in America is being waged over, but most Americans don't realize it. The ones out there protesting don't get it. And there are plenty of people, Democrat or Republican alike, oh, it's the conservatives' fault. Oh, no, 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 it's the the liberals' fault. We're fighting each other, and the globalists are really the enemy. The globalists who see in America's borders not as a lo- not a line of defense, which is what it is, our first and last line in point of fact, they see it as an impediment to wealth, their wealth. Because if they could destroy the middle class, they could raise their wages. If they could move drug money across borders, um, then they, they profit from it because the banks and the money remitting services get a piece of the drug money. They get a piece of the wages that move between countries. <clears throat> this is all about fattening the wallets of the people at the very top of the economic food chain about the destruction of the middle class, destruction of our borders. And without secure borders, we cannot defend America. We cannot defend America against terrorists. We cannot defend America against America's enemies. But the greedy SOBs don't get it because they are blinded by greed. This is what blind greed really means. Incapable of seeing anything beyond money. Money, money, and more money. That's what they want, and if people die along the way, simply collateral damage, who cares? This has to stop, and this is what President Trump has been trying to do. The executive order that the media will not name, I will name. Now, here is what the actual name of President Trump's executive order on immigration is. Fasten your seatbelt. Protecting the nation from the entry of foreign terrorists into the United States, protecting the nation from the entry of foreign terrorists into the United States. You see, if you wrote that down and put it in a newspaper, everyone would look at it and say, thank God he's taking an action that will protect us and our families and our children. You look at the attacks in Spain, and you look at what happened in France, you look at what happened in Brussels, and you look at the terrorist attacks in the United States, not just 9-11, the Boston Marathon, San Bernardino. We go down a whole laundry list. What they have in common were these were terrorists who crossed international borders in order to carry out their plans. The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it clear that, to put it succinctly, border security is national security. So you have a president who says, let's have some border security, and the anarchists are out there buying hook, line, and sinker, falling for the line, Oh, this is somehow about bigotry. And and this is what we have to address. You know, I I write for a bunch of websites. If you're familiar with me, you know about my websites. I write for CAPS Web, Californians for Population Stabilization, CAPSweb.org. I write for FrontPageMag.com, Front Page Magazine, and I write for The Social Contract. I wrote an article, and we talked about it last week. Over at CAPSweb.org, America undermines its national security by educating its adversaries. They published it a week ago today, August the um, 25th. August 31st, just yesterday, the Justice Department issued a press release. The title is this, U.S. Nuclear Engineers Sentenced to 24 Months in Prison for Violating the Atomic Energy Act. And what was the violation? This engineer provided nuclear technology to to China so that they could create nuclear materials in China 
without the authorization of the United States government, without the authorization of the Department of Energy. Now, I want you to stop and understand this. And I talked about this in my article. The Rosenbergs were executed for passing nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union in the 1950s. They were executed. People go to jail for espionage. Very often lengthy sentences, they may be subject to the ultimate punishment, the death sentence, especially where nuclear secrets are concerned. A U.S. engineer is how people describe it in the media, but in reality, this guy was a naturalized United States citizen. He's a citizen of, born in Taiwan, citizen of Taiwan, of China, <clears throat> comes to America as an immigrant, gets a degree in nuclear engineering in an American school, gets a job working in the nuclear industry, and then conspires with other people to send nuclear technology to China. And what does China do with it? Well, they're building up their nuclear fleet. They're building up their uh, ability to launch weapons. And who are they sharing it with? North Korea. How do you think North Korea got nuclear technology? They got it from China. They got it from Russia. They're getting it from Iran. And let's not forget in the 1970s, during the Jimmy Carter administration, another magnificent president, not, the United States gave nuclear technology to Iran because General Electric and Westinghouse wanted to sell nuclear reactors and nuclear turbines, you know, the turbines that are used to spin up using nuclear power to generate electricity. They said, wow, a whole new market. Let's give it to Iran. Of course, the Shah of Iran was the leader then. He was seen as an ally of the United States. But in the volatile Middle East, we know what happens with governments. And we know how today's friend is tomorrow's adversary. So we gave nuclear technology to Iran. The Obama administration entered into a disastrous agreement with Iran, supposedly, to stop their nuclear program, and I don't believe it will, and many other people share my worries that it won't stop their nuclear ambitions, and they are exchanging their progress with North Korea, and so is China. And right now, as I pointed out in my article, and we talked about it last week, China sends us the second greatest number of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math students, learning how to be nuclear engineers and mechanical engineers and civil engineers, they are building up their technology that they now threaten us with in the South China Sea. They built that artificial island. They've armed it to the teeth. They're building fleets of nuclear-powered vessels, fighter planes, stealth aircraft. Much of the technology has been stolen from the United States because we educate their engineers here in the United States, and once foreign students get to become a student here, they are also entitled to work to get practical training working in American companies in the United States, creating more opportunities for espionage. Think of how frequently China's computer hackers hack our computers thousands of times a day. How many of those programmers were educated in the United States? This is as stupid and suicidal and self destructive as it gets and you look at this and you say what are we doing we are now greatly worried and for understandable reasons that North Korea could launch a nuclear tipped missile this way they could set off a weapon in the atmosphere and create an electromagnetic pulse that could fry our electronics put us out of business 
turn America into a Stone Age overnight. And where are they getting the technology? From China. And China gets it from us. They come through the front door, and we are happy to bestow a first-rate, high-tech education upon our adversaries. China is not an ally. It is an adversary. China thinks long-range, meaning decades and generations down the road, the average politician, the average politician is incapable of looking more than the next election down the road. Corporate executives can't get past the next quarterly earnings statement. So we're looking months, maybe a year or two down the road in America. China takes the long view. What are we going to be doing in 30 years, 40 years, five generations at the turn of the next century? That's what China's looking at. And our dim-witted leaders, so-called, can't get beyond worrying about the next vote in the House or Senate, certainly can't get beyond the next election. That's all they're thinking about. And China is looking down the road thousands, hundreds of, maybe a hundred years, certainly decades down the road. They have the long view, and we suffer myopia. We suffer myopia, nearsightedness, when we allow companies to build factories in China so they can reverse engineer our technology. And what happens if China ever decides to nationalize American factories and kick our people out of our own factories? You won't be able to buy a pair of socks in the United States because all of our manufacturing capability has been moved over to China and other third world countries. These corporate leaders who can't get beyond the earnings statement because of their greed have created a perilous situation for the United States. And our immigration policies simply exacerbate those vulnerabilities. It's got to stop. And you finally have a president sitting in the Oval Office looking at the lunacy and saying, what are we doing? And you have members of the Republican Party who are up at arms. Why? because they are counting on campaign contributions from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and a laundry list of companies, banks, you name it, because all they care about is money. You know, you can understand the guy that's broke, the guy who's hungry, who steals a loaf of bread and a quart of milk. In fact, if I was a cop on the beat and saw somebody steal a quart of milk and a loaf of bread, I'd have to go back to the store with him get them some more groceries, and I'd have to pay for it out of my own pocket. You can't take somebody and put them in jail for stealing a loaf of bread. It's understandable. The guy's desperate. Maybe he's got a child to feed. But you have billionaires, billionaires, who can't get their hand on enough money, even though they have so much money you couldn't spend it in a lifetime. In fact, the interest they get every day from all that wealth can't be spent every day. Without meaning to, they keep amassing more wealth because they can't spend the interest that's coming in. Think about that. And yet those people are still willing to destroy America so they can have more money, more wealth, more power, more control. And how long is a human life? How many decades? We don't live forever. Yet these people seem to think that the key is more, 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 more in the hell with America. America stands at the precipice of destruction at a time when we're threatened by transnational gangs, terrorist organizations, and adversaries, including China, including Iran, including Russia, 
what in the world are we doing? Why in the world are we allowing this to happen? The politicians need to be made accountable. They need to be sent packing. Understand how dangerous this is. This isn't a left-right issue. This is a right-wrong issue. We need to look out for Americans first. President Trump has repeatedly said not only does he want to bring jobs back to America, but he wants American hands to do the jobs. If you are a labor guy, and I am, my dad is one of my big, was one of my biggest heroes. I lost him when I was in college. Uh, he had lung cancer in part because he smoked Chesterfield, in part because he was exposed to asbestos in the building trades, but also because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War because he had this overwhelming need to contribute to the war effort. The military wouldn't take him. His brother was already in the Army Air Corps. And back then, because of the Sullivan brothers, if you were the sole surviving male member of the family, they wouldn't take you. I remember him telling me that he tried several times to enlist, and they kept throwing him out because they knew who he was. He did the next best thing to serving in the Navy or serving in some other branch. He worked in the Navy shipyards, helping to build Navy warships and repair Navy warships that came back, you know, blown up destroyed, blood-stained walls, the whole bit. Uh, I remember him telling me the stories of what those ships looked like when he went on board to to work on repairing them with all those other um, pipe fitters and all the other workers in the shipyards. So I'm a labor guy. I remember my dad going off to work. If it was too hot or too cold, there was no such thing as too hot or too cold. It could have been five below zero. It could have been 105 degrees. He went out there and went to work even when he was ill. And he said to me, Mike, who's going to pay the mortgage? Are you going to pay it? But he wasn't unique. You see, all those guys in the, in the building trades, all those tradesmen, the carpenters, the bricklayers, the plumbers like my dad, the, the iron workers, the roofers, these guys are tough. They don't know what the word impossible means, and we've destroyed their ability to support their families. That's why I'm a labor guy. And I know that there are people who are on the other side of it, and that's fine. This is America. How in the world did we get to the point that Americans are at each other's throats for disagreeing on issues? The hallmark of a true democracy is open debate, discussion, discourse, the First Amendment, the right for peaceable assemblage. There is no peaceable assemblage on college campuses when they implement safe spaces. When you see the rioting on campuses to shut down debate from anyone who disagrees, that is not what democracy looks like. That's what a totalitarian country looks like. That's what I fear. Not for me, but for my children and my grandchildren. That's what we should all fear. That in America today, there's only one acceptable way of seeing things, and if you disagree, then you are vilified. You're vilified. And it becomes a matter of, well, this is hate speech and so forth. So let me clear the air as somebody who's Jewish, as someone who's an American. My family was decimated in the Holocaust by the Nazis. I was named for my mother's mother, my grandmother, who was killed in Poland because of our religion. I hate, I hate the right-wing Looney Tunes, the KKK and the skinheads and all those groups. I hate them, okay? Let's, but let's not forget that you also have people on the other side calling for the murder of police officers, advocating violence. I hate them as much. Anybody who thinks that violence is the solution to problems that we may have make me sick to my stomach. 
That is what anti-American is, looks like. Extreme left, extreme right, that's not America. You look at what's happening in Houston today. It doesn't matter what the color of the people are. Black helping white, white helping black, Latino helping white, Latino helping and around and around it goes. That's America. We're supposed to get past race and religion and ethnicity and just see each other as fellow Americans. We need to focus on what makes us more similar, not what makes us different. So now we come to Joe Arpaio. Now, this is a really interesting story. Joe Arpaio has been pardoned by the president, and the news media is going bats. Why are they going bats? Well, they're going bats because Joe Arpaio, according to the media, has been profiling. And that's what the judge accused him of. So let's look at what was going on in Arizona when Joe was the sheriff. And I've been to Arizona, and I helped them when they were sued by the Obama Justice Department over their immigration law, SB 1070. And I had the the privilege of addressing their state senate in Phoenix. At that time, there was an average of one kidnapping per day in the capital of the state of Arizona in Phoenix, a kidnapping per day, murder, shootings, robberies, rapes, gang violence every single day, most of it having a nexus direct or indirect with the Mexican drug cartels just across the border. Joe Arpaio, as a lawman, was responsible for law and order and protecting the lives and property of the people living in in Arizona. What was he supposed to do? And he knew that the people, for the most part, from the cartels that were from Mexico, and by the way, the people at greatest risk were members of the ethnic immigrant Latino community. So if you got pulled over by Joe and he'd say, where's your license? If the guy didn't have a license, he would arrest him. Oh, this is profiling. No, it's not. It's just that the bulk of the illegal aliens in Arizona happen to be Latino because of its proximity to the Mexican border. Think about that. In New York, prior to the implementation of these wacky sanctuary policies, I was an INS agent. And remember, you know, I got to see what that looked like back in the 70s. And if the police pulled some guy over for drunk driving and he had six of his compadres in the back seat, and it wouldn't matter if he was uh, from Jamaica or Mexico or, or Ireland. It didn't matter if the cop pulled over a car and there's a bunch of suspected illegal aliens in the back of the car, they would lock up the drunk and then they'd call immigration and we would go down and scoop up the illegal aliens who were riding in the back of this guy's car. Very simple. Violations of our immigration laws are not inconsequential. Our laws, again, have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about keeping out criminals and terrorists and fugitives and people who would take the jobs of Americans. So the cops would call us up. We'd go down. We would arrest the individuals. We'd put them before an immigration judge, and away they go. What in the world is wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is the wealthy bums who want the cheap labor they can exploit paid off their politicians and said, no, 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 you've got to stop immigration. They shouldn't be doing this. And they got what they wanted. They got the best government money combined. They never, the government, never hired enough immigration agents. The emphasis was always on the border patrol. Well, sure, the Mexican border has to be secured and the Canadian border needs to be secured, but there's a lot more that's wrong with the immigration system 
than people entering without inspection. By the way, that's not entering undocumented. It's entering without inspection. But you never hired, or they never hired, an adequate number of immigration agents to do interior enforcement because the idea was once these people got past the border, if they ran the border, or if they violated a student visa or a tourist visa and took a job illegally, they didn't want that workforce to be disturbed by immigration agents. So we, at one point we had fewer than 2,000 immigration agents for the entire United States of America. Think about that. 2,000 agents enforcing the law for the entire United States of America. At its peak, the New York City Police Department had over 40,000 police officers just for New York City. The whole country had 2,000 ICE agents. It's absurd. It's now estimated that they keep saying 11 million. We probably have 40 million illegal aliens in the United States. And now you've got about 7,000 ICE agents, and half of them are doing customs work. Trump comes along and says, well, we're going to hire another 10,000, I believe, either 10 or 12,000, whatever the number is. We're going to go out there and get enough agents that we become a credible law enforcement agency so we can deter illegal immigration, enforce the law, get illegal aliens out of the workforce, protect us against fraud. Jeff Sessions is brilliant. He was, he was great as a senator. He's brilliant as an attorney general. Uh, I know Jeff Sessions. I had the privilege of participating in a panel discussion with him when I was down in Florida a couple of years ago at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, the sponsors of Front Page Magazine. I also testified before him because I went before the Senate Judiciary Committee for a couple of hearings when he was there. In fact, the last time I testified, it was at the invitation of Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. So I know Sessions. And Sessions quoted me from the floor of the Senate 10 years ago when I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times, and I said we need to rename comprehensive immigration reform. I suggested we call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Immigration fraud is a huge issue. Jeff Sessions, working with the president, has targeted people who commit fraud in their immigration applications and their visa applications. He understands it. People are screaming. What are they screaming about? We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. Where's the anger? Where's the anger? We're not making it impossible for people to come to the United States. We want to make it difficult for people to come here illegally. We want to make it difficult for people who come here with visas and then violate the terms of their admission. That's what we're supposed to do. And this administration is trying to do precisely that. You have these nitwits that were demonstrating on Memorial on, on May Day. Uh, I called it Mayhem Day. Oh, we want better wages for American workers, and we want amnesty for all the illegals. Hey, folks, supply and demand. You know, I guess these people can't do math. They take their shoes off to count. If you flood the labor pool with more foreign workers, you displace Americans and you drive down the wages. So they're out there screaming, let's give everybody amnesty, let's let everybody work, and let's have higher wages. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. If you flood the marketplace with a commodity, you drive down the value of the commodity. That is why the Chamber of Commerce and greedy corporate leaders want to flood America with cheap labor. The only thing exceptional about foreign workers, especially from third world countries, is they are willing to work 
for exceptionally low wages under exceptionally adverse conditions. Trump is on the right side of this. He's saying, let's stop doing this. Let's get wages up. Let's get job opportunities up for Americans. But the media is in a feeding frenzy because they're scared to death that he might protect this country. And the people that want to drive down wages and destroy the middle class are beside themselves because Trump is on to the secret, the secret of raising wages and protecting the jobs of Americans and protecting America from terrorists and drug dealers. But you see, there are people in government who don't give a damn that kids are hooked on heroin. They don't care. They're happy. They're thrilled because the drug money is moved by the banks and the banks get a piece of the action and then the banks, no doubt, give these people campaign contributions. You look at banks like HSBC that have to pay billions of dollars in fines, but no one goes to jail. So they have a slush fund. If they're caught moving drug money, they pay a fine, and that's the end of it. No one goes to jail. Why is the CEO of a bank that stands accused of moving drug money not prosecuted? For the same reason that when the banks failed, Because of the greed of the bankers, it was the U.S. taxpayer. You and me, folks, we bailed out those crooked bankers. Forgive me for the redundancy in those terms. I love when banks talk about the products they offer. Three-card Monte con games are not products. I'm of the belief that a product requires an assembly line in wood, plastic, metal, screws, wire, something. A product isn't a piece of paper with, with a scam on it. But that's what banks offer us as a product. A swindle to them is a product. That's the problem. That's the problem. Because you have people making money off of the drug trade. If you took the drug money out of banking, if you took the drug money out of Wall Street, if you took the drug money out of real estate, those industries would take a huge hit. They are thrilled to have drug money percolating through them because they get to hang on to some of that money. And the amounts are beyond belief. And you look at Big Pharma and how they've gotten people hooked on the opiates. Do you think these people give a damn about children, American kids, or anybody else's kids? I don't even think they give a damn about their own children. Because the view down that long road that I talked about earlier, it ain't pretty. It really isn't. It's worrisome. But if all you can focus on is how much money can I shovel into my account today, then you ignore where you're taking this country down the road, literally. So here we have the media screaming about Donald Trump pardoning Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio profiler. Not really. He just simply was pulling over people with no licenses, but because of his proximity to the Mexican border, lo and behold, the great majority turned out to be Latinos. So here's my question. The same journalists that are screaming about Arpaio as a profiler are the same journalists that have no trouble on the Sunday talk shows. Turn it into Sunday. You'll hear it. And what do they talk about? They talk about the Latino voter. Right? If the president wants to attract the Latino voter, he has to, he can't end DACA. If the president wants to appeal to the Latino voter, He can't enforce the laws. He can't secure the borders. Do you really think that every American who is a Latino is lawless, believes in anarchy, 
doesn't want the laws enforced. You know, when you attribute specific behavior to people based purely on their race, religion, ethnicity, you're a bigot. When law enforcement profiles, let's look at Joe Arpaio. You have a guy who's driving badly, weaving all over the road. The car is overloaded. It looks like maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing. You pull him over. Now the guy doesn't have a driver's license. Is that profiling? Well, maybe, but understand the way he drove the car, the way the car was filled to the brim. This is the kind of profiling that the courts have ruled is acceptable. It's behavioral, it's context, there's context, there's behavior involved. There's a whole bunch of things. But when these so-called journalists and these pollsters talk purely about Latino voters or black voters or Jewish voters, what they're really saying is, we're going to look at one element of who this person is. Mike Cutler is a Jew. That makes him a Jewish voter. That means we know everything we need to know about him because all Jews are alike. If that isn't a statement of bigotry, I don't know what is. They do the same thing with blacks. Oh, black voters, this is what they want. So once we know that you have black skin, we make a generality. Because, of course, all blacks are alike. If that isn't racism, I don't know what is. Go look up racism. When you attribute values, behavior, whatever, to someone based purely on their race, that is the quintessential example of racism. So the same journalists who are jumping up and down and saying that Arpaio profiled are the same journalists who go out there and spew nonsense about the mythical Latino voter. Because once we know your last name is Rodriguez, what else matters? You tell me that's not bigotry and racism at its worst, because it certainly is. If these pollsters wanted to do a better job than they did with the last presidential election, Maybe they need to go back to the drawing board. You know, it's entirely appropriate for people looking at blocks of voters and demographics and so forth to say, okay, people with a college education aren't likely to be displaced by illegal aliens, so maybe they're less concerned about the illegal alien, more concerned about the aliens who come with the high-tech visas, the H-1Bs. The guy that drops out of high school could care less about the H-1B He's concerned about losing his job to a day laborer, so he has a different goal. Uh, People that are close to retirement, they're not worried about jobs. They're worried about the impact of immigration on health care, perhaps. People that are having children are worried about the impact of gangs in the schools. So if you want to break Americans down into groups, you can do it by socioeconomics. You can do it by education level. You can do it by age level. You can do it by whether or not the people have children. You see, that might make sense. But that's very different from talking about Latino voters. Because all that is is divisive. It pits American against American. And then people who are Latino think, gee whiz, maybe I should have these feelings because they keep saying it on the news. So some people start to actually believe that maybe they need to change their attitude. You know, we're going to get on the bandwagon. They sell soap that way. You know, 80% of housewives interviewed said that they use, uh, you know, Brand X soap. Well, people sometimes can be influenced by that sort of thinking also. But it's toxic, and it's not what America is, and it's not what journalism is supposed to be. So when you listen to the nonsense about Joe Arpaio, 
pay attention to that reporter talking about Arpaio. Or look at that politician who talks about the president pardoning Arpaio, and then look and see if this person doesn't talk about Latino voters or black voters or Jewish voters or Christian voters, because you're looking at someone who himself is a profiler, and he's a disgusting kind of profiler, because that person really is promoting bigotry. That's the bigot. Not the police officer who stops a driver for driving recklessly or can't control the vehicle or doing some other wacky things endangering other people. My concern are the people who go out there and pushing a racist agenda, but no one seems to see it. So I want you to become sensitive. Look at the person who has that message about the Latino voter or the black voter. Watch out for that person because that person is a problem. This nonsense has to stop. I don't care what your race, your religion, or your ethnicity is. If you're an American citizen, whether you're left or right of center or sitting on the center line, you want the military to keep America safe from its enemies. You want law enforcement to keep the gangs and the criminals off the street so that you're safe walking to the store, your children are safe going to school. We all want that. We want to know that our schools are able to educate our kids and that any American, any American, irrespective of what I call the superficial factors, race, religion, or ethnicity, or gender, any American willing to study hard, work hard, who benefits from a little bit of good luck thrown in for good measure, can write the next great American success story. That's what Americans want. And it doesn't matter if your last name is Rodriguez or Garcia or Jackson or Johnson or Goldstein. Normal for the average American to want all of the above. And please don't fall for this nonsense that somehow Latino Americans are different. No, they are not. We can celebrate our, the richness of our ethnicity. But that is not a dividing line. It is something to be shared among all Americans. That's why I love living in New York, because of the variety. That I can go to Chinatown or Little Italy or, or get the best kosher corned beef sandwich in the world right here in New York. Diversity is what makes New York New York or makes it exciting and a fun place to be. But that's not what we're listening to in the media. We're listening, we're listening to a very toxic brew of lies being spewed on a routine basis by people who profess to be reporters, and they're really propagandists. Final point for today. I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine that was just published a couple days ago about DACA, and we'll see what happens over the weekend or next week, because apparently the president will be acting because the state of Texas uh, has a lawsuit pending against DACA because they've come to recognize how illegal it is. So my article, the front page mag, and if you go there, uh, check it out, please post the stuff on Facebook, other social media, send emails, make phone calls. I, I want to get the information out there, folks. I need you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. That's what I really need. So if you go to capsweb.org and you see my articles, post it. If you go to front page, post it, because we need to get the word out there. So my article for the, uh, this was August 30th, two days ago, front page, false choice, ending DACA or building the border wall. The subtitle, 
President Trump doesn't have to choose, and he shouldn't. Now, DACA, the Deferred Action Childhood Arrival, was implemented, as I said at the beginning of my program, and and I believe it was done illegally by President Obama. He stood in the Rose Garden. I'll never forget that speech. I believe it was June 15th of 2012. And he said, Congress failed to act, so I'm acting the way he wanted. It did not pass comprehensive reform. It did not pass the DREAM Act. He was upset. And he said, well, I got a pen and a phone. The hell with Congress. The hell with the Constitution. By executive order, I'm going to wave my magic wand, and I'm going to legalize hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. Now, he sold it to Americans as saying, this is about children, kids, young people, young folks. He used all those adjectives. Go back, watch the speech if you have a strong enough stomach. It made me ill listening to it, frankly. Young people, kids, we're going to help the kids. The cutoff was age 31. Most people don't realize it. And right now, when the news reports talk about DACA, this is helping the kids. There are quite a few kids that are included but they could be as old as 31 as of 2012. You know, I'm on the wrong side of 60. So 31, boy, that's awfully young to Mike Cutler. But in what society is a 31-year-old a child? No society on this planet, not among this species of creature, not among humans, 31 solidly is an adult. We're not talking about some high school kid walking into an immigration office with his or her transcript and report card and student ID and saying to immigration authorities, I'm 15 years old, I really can't go back to whatever country. And it's not just about Latin America, by the way. It could be Pakistan, it could be Kuwait, it could be England, it could be France, it could be Jamaica, um, it could be anywhere in the world. This isn't about race. Get away from this nonsense. Now, yes, many might be Latino. I don't know what, how it breaks down that way, but this isn't about one ethnicity over another. These are people who ran the border. If they ran the border, there's no record of their entry. So we don't know if these people came here 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. Now, here's the restriction because of resources. There are no face-to-face interviews, okay? There are no field investigations to verify the information contained in the application. So an alien could be 30 years old and say, I came here 15 years ago, I can't go back. Does that make any sense to anybody? Now, let's consider DACA, what the words are. Deferred action childhood arrival. They really should say claimed childhood arrival because we can't verify it. They ask for proof, but let me tell you, You look at identity theft and all the other ways that people game the system, and if you look again at the 9-11 Commission report, fraud committed in conjunction with immigration was the number one entry and embedding tactic, not only of the 9-11 terrorists, but the Commission looked at 94 terrorists in the decade leading up to 9-11, and at least 59 or two-thirds used visa fraud and or immigration fraud. So we don't know who these people are. We don't know when they really got here. They know what they have to say to qualify. Now, something that most people don't know, but I know because I was an adjudications officer. See, that's the day at school, every day on the job for 30 years. You can approve an application in 15 or 20 minutes. You check off the boxes. Do we have the paperwork? Is this thing notarized? Did the person pay the fee? 
You go through the stuff and you make a decision and say, yep, this is an approvable case. No interview, no field investigation, because you're taking at face value what the people are telling you. But if you deny the application, forget about 15 minutes. This can take days or weeks, because now you've got to get an investigation done, lots of luck trying to find an agent who might be available. Then they've got to go out through the investigation. Then they've got to write a report. Then you have to review the report. Then you write your denial. And then you bring the whole package to the attorneys, and they have to check it for legal sufficiency. And they may well bounce it back and say, well, you got eight out of ten things here, but these other two items have to be taken care of. Back it goes, and if you have a quota to fulfill, and these people have a quota, you can't meet your quota and deny more than maybe one or two applications per year. Per year. Think about that. This is a dangerous program. So that's a problem. But then we come to the word deferred action. What does that mean? Defer means to put off, to postpone. And what was the action? The action was leaving America because they shouldn't be here. So we deferred moving you out of the country for two years because President Obama decided that he was above the law and that he was above the Constitution. So they said, okay, for two years you don't have to leave even though you should. That was the action that was deferred. Well, the two years came and went. So, so let me get you to think about this from another perspective. Maybe this will help to make some sense for you. You check into a hotel. You're on vacation. You go to Disney World. I, I really hope not. I don't go to Disney World because they fired a bunch of American programmers. So if they gave me a free ticket to Disney World, um, I, I don't even know that I'd give it away. Maybe I'd sell it and, and take the money and and give it to charity. Maybe we could help the people in Houston right now, or, or there's so many worthwhile charities. But I don't want to go to Disney World. I went there years ago, but as far as I'm concerned, the Disney company has knifed American workers in the back. They can go to hell. It's just that simple. But let's say you went to Disney World. Let's say you went someplace else, and you go to a hotel, and they say to you, well, how long do you plan to stay, Mr. Cutler? And I say, well, I'm staying for five days. And they say, well, that's wonderful. Hope you enjoy your stay. Here's the key to your room. And on the fifth day, you wake up, and there's that bill that they slid through the front door of your hotel room telling you that checkout time is 12 noon. Well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for this room, and I have to leave? You're damn right you have to leave because you agreed to be here for two years, for, for, two years for, for five days, and now someone else needs the room. These aliens who were part of DACA, got a benefit to which they were not entitled. They shouldn't have been here for the last two years. They shouldn't have had permission to work, but they did. They shouldn't have been going to school, but they did. So they got to benefit because of what I believe was an illegal act by President Obama, illegal and immoral. So you, you had the benefit of this deal, say thank you, and leave. When people come here on tourist visas, we impose a limitation as to how long they can stay. When I was an immigration agent, especially at the beginning of my career, if we found people who overstayed their visa, we would arrest them. Shocker. If they were working without permission, even if they were here within the time limit, we would arrest them and put them before a judge. No shock here, because they violated the law. These so-called children came here illegally. Yes, their, if their parents brought them here as kids, 
the parents did them a huge disservice. They dragged them through the desert. Many children don't survive that trek. The heat is unbearable. There's poisonous insects and poisonous snakes. Uh, snakes. And, and then you've got the, the violent criminals and gangs. So they put those kids in harm's way. You know, if I drove my children, if anyone, you drive your kid around without putting them in a proper car seat and buckle them in, uh, you get caught speeding with a kid in the back of your car and the kid's not in the right seat, you're going to get arrested and charged with endangering the welfare and safety of that child. And I agree with that law completely, by the way. Dragging children through the desert is wrong. And so um, this just encourages more lawlessness and endangers more children's lives. The kids who came here got a benefit to which they were not entitled. They should be thankful. They should take the education, go back to their home country, uh, better equipped to be successful at home. The solution to every problem around the world doesn't end with the sentence, and so they came to America, or and so we gave them a green card. We don't have enough jobs for Americans. We don't have enough resources for American children in school. We're taking money that should go to helping kids with learning disabilities, and we're taking that money from those kids with autism and ADHD and other developmental issues, and we're moving it into ESL, English as a Second Language. New York City was all excited a couple of weeks ago because they found out, you're not going to believe this, this is wild, the literacy rate for New York school kids, God only knows what they talk about when they say literacy. You know, They're not even saying whether it's at grade level, God knows. But they're all excited because they've made progress. You ready? 40% of New York City kids have some kind of English proficiency. 60% don't. Imagine being a kid in school today where the majority of the kids in the classroom with you can't even speak English. What do you think that does to your ability to study in school? What does that do to the teacher's ability to teach that class? And then we're going to evaluate teachers by how effective they are. How in the world can a teacher be effective when the kids that she's standing in front of don't understand anything coming out of her mouth and can't understand the words on the books in front of them? This is what we have created, a tower of Babel. I'd love to know how many people are injured or killed in car accidents because the driver of one or more vehicles could not read a road sign. You see, this is what we are doing. So when people say we've got to end DACA, and this is mean and terrible and you lack compassion, maybe this might make things better for American kids who really want to do well in school because school is preparation for the rest of their lives. Enough is enough, folks. At what point will Americans wake up and absolutely positively demand that for once and for all, more politicians, not just Trump, but more politicians stand up and have the guts and the moral spine to say, I am going to stand for Americans first. Because it's American kids living in poverty that gets ignored. And most of those kids living in poverty, by the way, boys and girls, are black and Latino. And they're American. And they are really getting the short end of that stick. That's what this is about. And that's why I'm hopeful that Trump will allow DACA to fade off into oblivion. That is why the border must be secured. That is why our immigration laws must be enforced. This isn't an example of bigotry. It's not an example of xenophobia. 
It's something that seems to be in very short supply these days. It's a matter of common sense. It's a matter of reasonableness. And this isn't about left or right. It's about right or wrong. And if you really worry about the plight of the American worker, then damn it, let's stop making Americans compete with third world workers who come to America bringing with them their expectations of third world wages and third world working conditions, which are increasingly becoming the norm in the United States. If you want America to become, go back to being America, then let's have an immigration system with integrity that attracts people who really want to be successful in this country, but not people who would wind up displacing hardworking Americans who need to support themselves and their families. Anyway, for what it's worth, that's Mike Cutler's opinion. I hope it's yours, but if not, you can reach out to me on my website, michaelcutler.net. Let me know what you think. But meanwhile, I ask you, please, go to capsweb.org, go to frontpagemag.com, go to the social contract, check out my articles, and uh, if you like what you're seeing, pass them along to as many folks as you can and become part of my bucket brigade of truth. Then reach out to your elected representatives and make certain that they understand what you expect of them. You know, when we go to restaurants, we're very specific about the food that we want to eat and the way that we want it prepared. We need to be no less specific when we deal with people who are paid to represent us and our families and our country. You know, I always like to end my program by making the simple point, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody. Have a great four-day weekend.